0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. John 1, 14 through
1: 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of closing out this series, um, which we've been dwelling in this Advent season. If you don't know me, my name is Ryan. I am one of the pastors here. And... Before we dive in and close out this Advent series together, let's pray. Father, you called us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so we ask that as we receive from you today that which you want to say to us, that we would respond in kind, that we would listen with ready hearts, and take to heart everything you have to say to us today. We thank you for your Advent, your coming, your arrival. We thank you that as we anticipate your future arrival, we have your present hope through your presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> so if you're just joining us, we've been in the middle of a series, an Advent series, Advent being the season in which the church reflects back to Christ's first coming, his, his Advent, his breaking into the world so that we can look forward and anticipate his second coming. That as the church, we live between the times. We live between Christ's first coming and his second coming. This is our unique state as the people of God. We live between the fulfilled hope of Christ and the promised hope of Christ. And so, we're going to end this series by reflecting... On the prologue of John, which we've been kind of in and out of through this series, John's prologue speaks to the mystery of what we call the incarnation, God becoming man. And and it's in this prologue that John speaks of the word becoming flesh. So if you remember back to our first week, we talk a bit about Jesus as this cosmic word. That Jesus, before time began, before the creation of the world, exists with the Father as the cosmic word. As God's word to the creation. He exists co-eternal, co-equal with God. And it's at the beginning of that prologue that we learn that this word is breaking into history. That this word isn't just a distant reality, a distant God outside of time, but that God, the God of you, the universe, the God of creation is breaking into history. And how's this, how does God do this? Well, John lets us know the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That literal meaning of that word um, dwelt among us, is, the, the literal meaning refers to setting up a tent. So this verse could read, and, and the word became flesh and set up a tent, set up a tabernacle among us. And what John is doing here is, 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 un, is unique to this Jewish idea of the presence of God being connected to a physical space in the, in the old testament god dwells amidst the people in this tent in this gathering place where he can dwell amidst the people and be his presence to them and so just as god dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple now god is dwelling in flesh in a body but what does that mean What does it mean for God to take on flesh? What does John mean? What is he getting at when he's saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us? Well, this is the great mystery of the Christian faith. This is the unique claim of the Christian faith, that God became flesh, that God is not distant or absent. He is not the clockmaker or the man with the, with the beard dwelling in the sky, removed from the affairs of humanity. No, 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 the unique Christian claim is that God dwells with humanity. But what does that mean that he puts on flesh? Well, what we believe as Christians is that The incarnation is the belief that in Christ, God and humanity are joined together in one person. In fact, the the symbol of Chalcedon, which is the summary of an early church council, says this. We then, following the Holy Fathers, the Apostles... All with one consent teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. That is the unique claim of the Christian faith, that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And so, how is this truth, how is this reality, our hope, our peace? our joy this Advent season? Well, we have to look at what does John mean by flesh? What does he mean? Now, one reading we can read to say, well, well, God took on a human body, right? He took on skin and bones and blood. He had a nervous system, right? That's one level of this, and that would be correct. Or or maybe it's just that God, he, he got a body, and then he said, Well, you know, I'll subject myself to like all the limits of being human. So I'll get tired and I'll get hungry and I'll get lonely and I'll have physical human needs. But what John is getting at is something much deeper than just God takes on a body. See, the word flesh in the New Testament is a loaded word. It doesn't just mean a body. Actually, the Greeks had a word for body. It's soma. And so this is a different word John is using. What does he mean that Christ took on flesh? It's more than just Jesus had a body, a human body. It's something that's wrapped up in the mystery of the faith we hold to be true, that somehow, someway, Jesus enters into the reality of the human condition not just taking on a body, not just having flesh and blood, but Jesus himself, God himself steps into the reality of the human condition. In fact, Paul in Philippians goes on to meditate on this. He's he's talking to the Philippians and he's he's asking them to be united as a church, and as he's making his appeal, he references what most scholars think is a hymn, a song. It's called the Christ hymn, and what it must have been was an early song of the Christian church that they sang concerning the nature of who Jesus was, and it's this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, this is Philippians 2, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. Of God the Father. This is a meditation on what it means for Jesus to become flesh, for Jesus to take on humanity. Let, let, let's look at that in more detail. In verses six to eight, Paul uses a, an important phrase here. He says, Jesus empties himself. That in becoming human, there's an emptying of Jesus. Something happens when God meets man, that there's an emptying. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that when Jesus became human, he ceased to be God. That would be to deny Christ's divinity, right? It would be to go, be, go against what we understand that, that He is fully God and fully man. So what is Paul meaning? Well, what Paul, this emptying t- Paul is talking about is, is subtraction via addition. In other words, by, t- by God taking on humanity and taking on the limits of humanity, he is now bound to the limits and conditions of humanity. And this doesn't just speak physically that he's bound to all the physical limitations of what it means to be human, all the existential limitations of what it means to be human. Doubt, fear. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane, where for a moment Jesus says, Father, if it's your will, would you take this cup from me, desiring not to die? Jesus, in becoming human, empties himself. He, He doesn't use his... Divinity. He doesn't use his godhood as a way to breeze through being human. You can imagine if you were God and you became human, you'd have an easy time at it, right? Because you're God still. So if you're a God and you became a human, well, you're human, but like I'm still God, so I get to do all my God things. No, no, there's something unique to, about Jesus' incarnation that Jesus says, no, no, I'm fully God, and yet I will enter into the complete and total ramifications of what it means to be human. I will step into the very brokenness and darkness of the human condition. This is why the author of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. Or as Thomas Torrance, the scholar puts it, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God penetrated into the dark depths of our alienated, enslaved, and distorted human experience. Jesus not only enters a human body, but the complete and total reality of the human experience. So much so that he dies as a human. And that is the unique claim of the Christian faith, that we have a God who knows what it is to die. Who knows what it is to suffer, who knows what it is to be alienated and estranged, who knows what it is to be made lonely and have fear, who knows what it is to doubt and to question, who knows what it is to experience the full range of the human experience, the very nooks and crannies and dark crevices of the human mind and soul that we dare not talk about in public. Jesus enters into the dark depths of our alienated, enslaved, and distorted human experience. And he does this by joining himself to the most human of all experiences, death. Jesus dies as a human. In Christ, the immortal meets mortality. and everlasting life dwells with death. And it's in his very human body that the life of God and the power of death meet. And one rises victorious. That's beautiful. It's good theology. But what does this mean for us? We, we there's there's a unique um, issue in Western Christianity that centers the belief in intellectual realities without thinking through what they mean for us in our actual everyday life. So it's good to believe that Jesus was incarnate, that he was fully God and fully man, that he entered into the totality of human existence. That that's a good thing to believe. It's the tr- true we believe, think we believe thing to be true about who Christ says he is. And yet, what does it mean for you and for me on Monday? What does the, how is the incarnation actual peace, actual hope, actual joy for you when you are faced with the reality of being human? Well, Paul goes on in his hymn he's quoting, in verse 9, he says, Therefore, God also highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bend. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus takes on the human experience. He dies. But paradoxically, it's in dying.
0: It's in suffering the worst of what it means to be human that God exalts him. Death is the pathway to exaltation.
1: Jesus takes his throne by taking on a cross. In fact, one of the perverse images we get of the cross is that Jesus is hanging there and yet he looks kingly. He has a crown. He has a name, he has a placard above his head that declares him king of of the Jews. In all ways, the cross is Jesus' enthronement. It's how he becomes enthroned. It's it's how he gets exalted. And so, what Paul is getting at is that Christ's humiliation, his becoming human, his reward for being Enduring the full range of the human experience, all its suffering, all its pain, even death, is that he is exalted. His humiliation precedes his exaltation. His dying precedes his glory. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, what this means for us. In the incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. Through fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity. And at the same time, we are delivered from the individualism, which is the consequence of sin, and retrieve our solidarity with the whole human race. By being partakers of Christ incarnate, we are partakers in the whole humanity, which he bore. We now know that we have been taken up and born in the humanity of Jesus. And therefore, that new nature we now enjoy means that we too must bear the sins and sorrows of others. The incarnate Lord makes his followers the brothers of all mankind. The death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus isn't an individual affair that happens to Jesus. What scripture goes on to tell is that all who die with Christ are raised with Christ. In other words, Just as Christ experienced the total humiliation of what it is to be human, just as we all experienced, we all get to experience his exaltation, that those who put their trust in Jesus, who put their faith in Jesus, get to experience the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what Bonhoeffer goes on to say. He says, only the humble believe this. And rejoice in a God so free and so marvelous that he does wonders where people despair, that he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And that it's the wonder of all wonders that God loves the lowly. God is not the ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to loneliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak,
0: and the broken. I think it's interesting that so much
1: of our world values values strength and power, and prosperity. In fact, if you were to ask someone what it meant to be truly human, their fully realized selves, it would probably look like someone with wealth and power and access. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But it gets away from the message of the cross, which is God loves the lowly. That the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, transcendent God decided to step into the midst of human brokenness. Not to
0: despise it, not to shame it, not to condemn it, but to rescue it. That's very abstract. Let's narrow in.
1: God entered into the reality of your life. All the shame and all the brokenness and all the sin and all the stuff. And all the mistakes, and all, all the I shouldn't have done that, and all the, the broken relationships we've experienced, and all the wounds we carry, and all the trauma we've experienced, Jesus enters into that thing, not to bypass it, not to tell you you need to get it all together, but says, actually, that's where I want to meet you. The very darkest parts of your human experience, the very darkest parts of your story, that's actually where Jesus is found. We have this perception of God that God is found after I get it all together. That God is the reward for a life well put together. And that the presence of God is the reward for a life that has itself free of sin and stuff. And actually, it's actually sometimes it even affects how we engage in a space like this. Because then we say, then church is a place where I must have it all together. And community and intimacy is the reward for finally figuring it
0: all out. But the reality is, is that it's in the darkest parts, not in when you fix yourself
1: and clean yourself up, that Christ is found. So it means, consequently, then, the church is a place where the full darkness of the human experience should be experienced. Where the most lost and lonely soul could enter in and find fellowship and camaraderie. Because if there's one thing that binds us all, it's death. And our proclivities that lead us toward death might vary. It's why Paul says the wages of sin is death. He doesn't go on to specify what's sin. It's just the totality of sin. The reality of being human has us on this trajectory towards death. And rather than the church being on the other end of that, the church is actually the doorway. So I don't have to fix it all and become this dignified vision of a human. I get to stumble into this building, stumble into the arms of Jesus, because where is Jesus found? At the very depths of the human experience. It's why sometimes I, I remember having a friend, and I, um, you know, he's very into like you know, um, having his theology really well put together. And I remember I had bought like a crucifix to hang above the door of my office. And he, he goes on to tell me, he's like, Ryan, why would you put the crucifix up there? Why don't you just get the cross? Jesus is off the cross. He's risen, don't you know? I was like, yes, I do. I'm <laughs> well aware. <laughs> hey, but he, well, here's the point he was trying to make. He, he was trying to be accurate, right? And in his accuracy, he's saying, well, if Jesus is risen, why have the image of his death? Because for me, the image of the crucifixion, the crucified Lord, is the doorway through which I stepped into this thing. I didn't start at the resurrection. I started at the cross. The Christian journey begins at the cross. It begins with a horrific image of God hanging, bleeding, and barely gasping for air. And what we should see on the cross is actually an image of our lives us bleeding, barely gasping for air, and that's the place where God meets us. And so then, if that's the entrance, if that's the way I get in, then the exaltation, the glory, the resurrection is, happens with the cross and not without. It happens with us, not in spite of us. And so this is the great hope of Advent. That when we look at that baby in a manger, as cute, I got my little nativity at home, it's beautiful. The, the figures are still a little white, we're working on that. But it was on sale, it's what I could afford, okay? It is what it is. And it's very easy to take that image and say, this is really beautiful and cute and lovely. And wow, a baby. Look how cute. And angels and donkeys and sheep all around him. But the true meaning of that image is that's God entering into the lowliness of the human condition. The utter brokenness of the human condition. And that's where God is found. Because the manger is just a precursor to the cross. And if God can be found in a lowly manger or on a wooden cross, then certainly he can be found in the darkness that surrounds you. This is our great joy this Advent season. That God became man, but listen to this, and remains man. This is something we, th- we don't think about too much. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he doesn't lose his human body. There's a little theology 101 for you. That sitting on the throne of heaven is the truly human one. In Christ, God and man together share the throne of heaven. So, if humanity is sitting enthroned with God the Father in heaven, what does that mean for you? Well, if Jesus experienced the lowliness of the human condition, it is now exalted, seated with the Father. It means you, in the lowliness of your condition, might be exalted and be seated with the Father. And so actually, this whole mess of called human life that you're experiencing right now is but the precursor to glory. And that doesn't mean, again, you bypass the suffering. It doesn't mean you bypass the stuff. It's going through the stuff that glory is found. And so if you thought the Christian life was, I gotta like push past and bury the stuff I've been through so that I can be, have this acceptable, joyous life, that's actually a misnomer. It's to enter it that you are glorified. Jesus only gets the throne by taking the cross. And if God is seated on high, the truly human one is seated with him, then as Paul says, you are already seated with him in heavenly places. What does that mean? Even as you sit here, you also sit enthroned with God. So your reality is, yes, this one, where you got bills to pay, and you got traumas to wrestle with, you got stuff going on, and you're going back home for Christmas, and you're like, man, this is going to suck, because I have to deal with my family and the brokenness there. And yet at the same time, while you're sitting around that Christmas table and that uncle is saying that stuff, you're like, man, I want to lash out, but I can't right now because I'm trying to keep the peace. Even in that moment, while you're seated at that table, you're also with Christ in heavenly places. And so this is the great paradox of the Christian life is that I could sit at the table with the awkward uncle saying the crazy things, and I could sit there as if I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That I'm already enthroned with Christ. That heaven is not just some future reality, but a present condition we can be called to live into. There's this quote by St. Augustine that always gets me. He says this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, the truth accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, the strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. If I were to add to what Augustine is writing here, I would add this, and by doing so, the hungry are fed, the thirsty are quenched, the sleepless find rest, the lost find home, the accused find pardon, the wounded are healed, and the dead do rise. This is what the incarnation means for you this Advent season, that just as Christ is found. And the utter darkness of the human condition. The things you dare not name out loud but in front of the mirror. If there Christ is found, then where is Christ's exaltation found? Right there. In the middle of the stuff. Not outside of it, not after it, not beyond it, but in the middle of it. So if you want to experience Christ, the goal is not to get past that stuff but to enter into it so fully that you might see the resurrection power of God at work in your life. This is your great hope. This is the source of your peace. This is your great joy. That Christ has died with you and he lives with you and he will be raised with you. And that that resurrection life is not some distant idea but something you're being called to to live into now. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. You're still in this reality. You're still in this body. You're still in this flesh. You still got the stuff, but you can also at the same time paradoxically be with Christ in heavenly places. The great hope of Christianity is not that the earthly go to heaven, but that the heavenly comes to earth. So if you're looking for like a Get out of jail free card in this experience. And the goal of this whole experience is like, I just got to endure and then hopefully cross my fingers, die, heaven. If that was what you were thinking Christianity was about, let this Advent be a new awakening for you. That the story of Christianity has always been about God meeting humanity where it's at and renewing it where it's at. And so what does that mean for you? It means that God is going to meet you where you're at and renew you where you're at, and that resurrection doesn't happen in the future begins now. Here's what I want us to do, um, and band, um, you can come up, because w- what we'll do, guys, I made my decision, is that we'll, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. We, we, were d- we were debating earlier, like, how we should do response, and I was like, I don't know, guys, I'm so sorry, we'll do it in the moment, this is behind the scenes of church. Ben, what we'll do is we'll have some response first and then we'll come to the Lord's table. But let's do this. Can you all
0: just close your eyes with me for a moment? Let's just all just take a deep breath. And maybe another deep breath for good measure. Here's what I want us to do. Quietly where you are. I want you to consider the reality of your humanity. Where do you find brokenness in your body, your mind, your
1: relationships? Where do you experience bondage?
0: To what or to whom are you held captive? Where are you uncertain? Doubting,
1: filled with fear. Where in your life do you experience the limits of your humanity? So go there. Go to that spot that you try your best to avoid and it only pops up late at night when you're alone. That, that, that place, that darkness. Go there. And now imagine with me this. That as you enter that darkness, there you find Christ. Just as these candles, if we were to turn off all the lights and it was dark outside, would be just a little light. Imagine Christ as that little light, distant, flickering. He's not not like this beacon. It's just this little light. And imagine that's Christ dwelling with you in those things and meeting you. And ask yourself the question, what would it look like for that life to gr- light to grow? What would resurrection look like? It may not look like the solving of the situation. It may just be a new way in which you engage with it. It may not look like glossing over the things that happened to you, but finally acknowledging them for the first time. And that's where Christ is meeting you, here and now in those dark places. Think forward to where you're going to be with your families and the brokenness there. What would it look like if Christ was seated at the table with you? As you consider these things, in a moment I'm going to invite you up if you'd like to respond and, and have prayer. Here's what I want, want to talk to us quickly about prayer. Is prayer is not the quick fix. We can't treat prayer like putting Band-Aid over a gunshot wound. It's not you come up here, you get prayed for and everything's peachy. The reality is, is that prayer is the beginning of the journey. It's the way to enter into the situation with God rather than without him. And so here's my ask, if if you need prayer, if, if you can perceive the limits of your humanity, the darkness of your humanity, the place you need Christ to meet Christ at, and you want to begin that journey of beginning to perceive Christ in the midst of your humiliation, in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your brokenness, brokenness, if that's what you can perceive today, I'd love to pray with you. Because also what Christianity Christianity is not about is just about you and God. It's us and God, a community of faith. And so in a moment, I'll pray for us. I'll have a stand. And if you need to respond, come respond. And then I'll lead us to the Lord's table. Father, creator of heaven and earth, you entered into our brokenness that we might be redeemed. You didn't bypass our brokenness or gloss over it or kind of ignore it and give it a wink. You looked it straight in the face and said, here, resurrection is possible. And so just as you did through your incarnation, we look the brokenness of our humanity straight in the face and we say, yes, here, resurrection is possible. Meet us as we meet with you. In Jesus' name.